everyone, and welcome to Let's Talk About Brand. I, of course, am your host, Christine Gritman. I'm here every single week interviewing another guest expert about a specific element of branding. And today I'm really excited. Today we are digging into brand design, more specifically brand refreshes, because it's one thing to come up with the, the look and the feel and all of that of your brand to begin with, but... When brands have, uh, when brands decide it's time for a refresh, especially bigger brands, sometimes they don't quite think it through the way many members of their audience would. Um, Marissa Messick, today's guest, certainly took note of that. Uh, I found her through TikTok. She has a, a bit of a series of brand refresh fails, and she herself is a designer, so she is very intimately involved in that whole process of brand design, and we're going to talk to her about where brands go wrong with their brand refreshes, and then some tips on how you can make sure you don't become a brand refresh fail yourself. Without any further ado, let's bring on Marissa. Hello, Marissa. So good to have you here today. Thank you so much for having me. So as we mentioned uh, before, uh, I found out about you through Bree Seely, who we both know. Um, she's been a previous guest on the show as well. And she told me about um, on TikTok, you kind of have looked at some brand refresh fails. Where did that originate from? What inspired you to do that? And what have you covered there? Yeah, I, I guess I was inspired to talk about it because I think a lot of times people think that brand design is expensive, but I also wanted to talk about the cost of bad design too. Like these, so my series is all about really big corporations that have rebranded and then the cost of what that rebrand cost for them, but then also the cost of what it was after it failed, like after they've rolled out all of this new packaging and updated all of their marketing with their new branding, where it gets to be like in the multi, like several millions of dollars. So it's like this reminder that yes, investing in good design can be expensive, but bad design can be so much more expensive too. And it's crazy because you've got all these small business owners, you know, riding the struggle bus on Canva, just trying to do their own stuff. Yes. And you see brands spend millions of dollars to get uglier. <laughs> it can be very yes. frustrating. <laughs> so, so let's talk through some of them. Let's talk through some of the brands that, some of the brand refreshes that caught your attention and what was such a fail about them? Yeah, one that comes to mind um, is Tropicana. So in 2009, they did a refresh and they invested $35 million into the rebrand. And they went from like a very classic kind of design. Um, it has the like this orange with a straw in it. So it's kind of saying like super fresh, straight from an orange kind of orange juice. And then when they rebranded, they went to like a very clean and minimal design and they stripped away a lot of the personality and then they got a lot of backlash from it. And I think that the big thing was that they went so far in a different direction that it almost became unrecognizable to people in a grocery store. So if they're looking for what they remember Tropicana to look like when they're in the grocery store, like it looks nothing like it. So their sales dropped by 20% and it ended up costing them like $50 million. Oh so, goodness. That's yeah. incredible. And the fact that the sales dropped is really the incredible part because a lot of times 
people or companies can think of, well, a brand is so much more than just the packaging. A brand is so much more than the external presentation of it. And that's true. But if you can't recognize that brand whose product you trust, that that kind of doesn't help you. And to, and you mentioned the minimalism. You mentioned that it really stripped away a lot of the personality. I feel like that's been a common theme for a lot of those big brand fails that I've seen. I know with Tropicana, I saw people saying, oh, now it looks like it's, you know, the store brand or like Target Up and Up. Yeah. Target Up and Up is great. But, you know, <laughs> it's it's a very... It's a different look from a big brand like Tropicana. So um, what do you think in terms of, you know, sometimes brands feel like, oh, it's cleaner, it's more sophisticated. But when does it go over the line into generic and lacking in personality? Where's that line? Yeah, definitely. And I think one thing to note is like this was in 2009. So it wasn't super recent where I think now if someone were to do that, people perceive it as more like it can be like a more like high end look, but I don't think that's what Tropicana is going for. Um, so, and I, I think like in 2009, it was probably a little bit like before their time of this wave of minimalism in packaging too, which probably caught a lot of people off guard. Um, but as far as like going too far, I think like, for big brands, especially honing in on where they came from and what makes people feel really nostalgic about that brand does those big brands really well. So when they strip away all of that personality and they don't have that like defining characteristic that makes them stick out or makes them memorable. And when minimalism really takes over, then everything can kind of start to look super similar. So it's like, nothing is really differentiating them from their competition or like the next product on the shelf. Now, another one that I know that you covered was the Gap. And Gap is an interesting one because Gap has had many refreshes over the years. They started in 1969. So there have been a lot of small changes over the years that maybe weren't that didn't hit people over the head quite as much and then a couple years ago there was a big one that hit hard and and got retracted very quickly so um (laughs) would you be able to talk about that one a little bit yeah um so for gap i can't remember the numbers off the top of my head of how much they invested but so they basically went from this very classic serif font that said gap with like the classic blue rectangle um and then when they rebranded they went to a sans serif font and this like kind of odd blue gradient in the corner of it so it um to me, it looks very like tech startup. It doesn't have that classic kind of heritage um, feeling that Gap is more known for, like the classic kind of clothes and style. And so then it kind of went in a totally different direction of feeling very like tech, maybe like credit card. I don't know, just not clothing. Absolutely. It reminded me of the the Amex Blue, that yes, credit exactly. card. It, it had that sort of... Um finance industry feel. It was Definitely. just too big a departure. And and they, they took yeah. that back pretty quickly, right? Yeah. And the funny, once they got all of this backlash about it, they were like, oh, we're just kidding. Just um, kidding. It, we're just like crowdsourcing feedback. And it's like, <laughs> like Gap, why are you gaslighting everyone? <laughs> <laughs> 
I think that it is trickier now in the days of social media. Well, it's trickier, but it's also more effective in a way because you can have that real-time feedback. You can have that immediate market research, whether you want it or not. Yes. <laughs> it is crowdsourced by virtue of social media and all of us having a voice. Um, can you think of any good brand redesigns that you've seen that sort of weren't as jarring? Yeah, I think like for big rebrands, like really large companies, um, one that was a while ago was Chobani. They went to um, like their rebrand. So it was like a very, it was more minimal, but then they added in like these kind of fun, organic, colorful um, illustrations and patterns. And I think that really stood out as really well. Another one that happened um, last year was Burger King. When they rebranded, they went from like this yellow and blue more like 3D to me, like corporate design. And then they stripped away the blue because their reasoning was like, that doesn't appear in our food. So the rebrand is really heavily influenced on the burger and pulling colors from the actual food. So it's like this yellow and browns and reds and like greens. And they brought in um, illustrations and they made their own font called flame. <laughs> and I think for that, it just brought in more uh, personality to the brand. It made it seem more like human and less big business corporate. And that was a really fun one. I remember seeing all the articles about that one, because as you pointed out, it does call back to the food. The Burger King logo already kind of had the words Burger King in a burger. It was a little less smack you in the face obvious about the fact that it was a burger yeah. <laughs> and then they just leaned into that so they leaned into something that was already part of their brand um and and it could have it could have backfired because they went with a very retro look and a very kind of playful <laughs> look and that can backfire but i love that they they leaned into that and it, and it seems to have worked pretty well for them um, yeah yeah what are what are some elements you feel of a good brand refresh and you are a designer yourself so i don't know if you only design brands from scratch or if you've been a part of any rebrands yourself but what are some good yeah. places to to go to with that most of my clients we do refreshes um since they've been in business a little bit longer like maybe they diy'd their brand or like started from a canva logo whatever it was like there's a time and a place when you need something up and running and like getting it done quick so a lot of my clients come to me when they're ready to refresh, like really step into like their next level. Um, but I think that like really successful rebrands happen when you set goals for the rebrand. Like there should be a reason that you want to do this. And I think that's one of the big things of like the brand fails that I talk about. It's just like there there isn't a set goal or like reasoning. It's something that's the brand's already working. So like why do this like why fix what isn't broken um but then another really big important part is doing the research beforehand before you just go straight to visuals so like really leaning into the brand strategy and figuring out what the brand's mission and their vision and values and the personality of the brand and really getting to know the audience as well um and then taking all of that good juicy stuff and then having that influence 
the visuals of the brand. So it's not just pulled out of thin air and like choosing these colors because I think that they're pretty. It has to be something that's rooted in meaning and that's going to really resonate with the audience. Now, it's interesting because as a designer yourself and as, you know, a brand person myself, I kind of get how personality and audience and things factor into visuals. But for a lot of people that that can seem like a disconnect, like what does the orange with a straw in it have to do with mission and vision? Um, (laughs) What are some of those ways that they play in? What are some ways that we can visually represent the intangible? as it were. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's more about like the feeling that someone can get when they look at it. So like, like taking Tropicana as the example, like when it has the, the orange and the straw in it, it is like a pretty literal representation of like, we're very fresh. Like it's straight from the orange. Um, Or like for gap as another example, like with the blue, square and then the serif letters it makes it feel very like grounded and timeless and a little bit more nostalgic so I think it's around the overall feeling that someone gets and so when like so for someone listening if you're thinking like okay what do I want to be known for or how do I want people to feel when they experience my brand then taking that and seeing how that could be portrayed in a visual way. So it could be, I mean, it's hard to like explain it in, in words since it's such like a visual thing. Um, but like the colors, like different colors will give you a feeling or the different fonts that are used will give you a specific feeling. So we've mentioned how some brand refreshes are ill-advised. You know, you have that trust, you have that recognition, that familiarity. You maybe don't want to mess with it just for the sake of putting something new out there and causing buzz. When is it a good time for a brand to consider a graphic refresh? Yeah, I think a good time would be if you are like scaling a business, if, um, if maybe you started off and you don't have enough assets for what you uh, like want to do. So let's say if you like, if you are a product-based business or you're launching something new and you need like a design that doesn't fit within that, or if you are, maybe you had something that was done a long time ago and it's no longer like relevant. It looks really dated. Um, It might be time for a refresh to have something that looks more timeless, more current, but not too trendy. So you want it to last for a really long time. Um, It could be time for a refresh when you feel like it's not really resonating with your audience anymore. Um, When you feel like maybe what you're putting out there isn't recognizable or sometimes when things are no longer consistent. Sometimes I, a lot of times my clients will come and they've kind of like tweaked the colors a little bit or like, Oh, I really like this font. I'm going to start using this font. And then all of a sudden everything looks like it's not coming from the same place. So if you've gotten to a point of, um, of that where nothing's like really consistent or you're, there's no guidelines for how to use your colors or fonts or the logo, it might be time for a refresh. As you mentioned, there are certain trends. Sometimes certain looks can be very fresh at one time period and then start to look a bit dated. Um, What are some visual branding trends that you kind of see coming up now 
that are in common usage. Because to our point earlier, when we were talking about how those intangibles can be represented visually, we do kind of have a mental shorthand when we see certain types of visuals. And, and that's always a good thing to be able to latch onto. So what are some of those that you're seeing out there right now that are possibly about to jump the shark a bit? Who knows? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, some that I see right now that I think will probably become pretty dated or like aren't necessarily like timeless are I see a lot of like kind of the boho trends, like the kind of like flowy letter forms, a lot of script fonts, I think aren't going to be able to last a super long time, um, like the dusty kind of pink colors or the arch trend. Um, I think it's can be really timeless in like architecture, other design, but like the arch photo kind of can be see it a lot in Canada. I can I'm like all of what you're talking about, <laughs> the kind of light pink and then the more terracotta shade. And then there's yes. the green because you have to call in the boho like plant trends. You've got to evoke macrame somehow. <laughs> Maybe have a succulent yeah. in there. <laughs> yes. I've gone down those Pinterest rabbit holes. I know. <laughs> yeah, I would stay clear from that if you're going through a refresh right now, but... Yeah, it's very of the moment, but it's of this moment and and a moment ago. It's not of the yes. next moment. What are some things you see coming up that maybe uh, would look a little fresher and aren't quite cliche just yet? Yeah, I think, I mean, everyone hates on minimalism, <laughs> um, but I think having, I see a lot of sans serif fonts becoming more relevant. Um, you see it like a lot in um, like some refreshes for like luxury clothing brands like Burberry going from a serif font to a sans serif font. And I think that's because it's really scalable. You can blow it up really big. You can shrink it down and it still becomes legible, especially in like an online space where people are on their phones a lot, having fonts that are super easy to read at really small scales. I cannot believe, so I work for Agora Pulse, you know, in, in real life, and they recently had a brand refresh, and one of the things that they did specifically was they moved from a serif font to a sans serif font. When That's I, so when funny. I looked at the Agora Pulse uh, swag that I have from over the years, one of the ways I tell if it's old swag or new swag is I'm like, let's look at the A. Is the A <laughs> that clean new one, and is the word pulse that really thin uh, treatment or a little bit thicker, but that was a good subtle one. That was a good subtle one because it wasn't a total departure. Um, yeah. They were orange and black, and now it's more orange and navy blue. You know, and it's and it's yeah. still got it's the still like a subtle change. Exactly, and it's interesting because there's that kind of fine line there. I keep saying that sort of thing, but there is a fine line between, you know, why did you bother with a refresh if it's going to be so similar? versus why did you change so much with your refresh, your totally new brand? So what are some ways that brands could be sure to stay on the right side of that so that, you know, it was worth changing, but they're they're not damaging their existing brand equity that the old branding um, gained for them? Yeah, such a good point. And I think it is like such a balance between not doing enough and like totally departing. So I think a good way when you're like taking a look and really analyzing it is if it still has the same feeling and if it's still um 
like still like telling the same message. So like, for example, like with the ones that I brought up before, like Tropicana, where there's when they stripped away, like all of the personality, it wasn't telling the same story as the original one. So I think a good um, like check mark, I, I accomplished this is like, is it still saying like what I want it to say about our brand? Yeah. Um, another thing that I am definitely curious about is some brands, they stay very, very consistent. They have the same, you know, they look the same always. And some of them are deliberately designed with a little more leeway. One thing that immediately comes to mind is um, I was just looking up last night about how the Clubhouse app icon is always changing. It's always a black and white oh, photo of members of their community. So we've all seen brands where I've, I've looked into several brand guidelines documents, as I'm sure you have as well. And some of them are really, really broad. And some of them are more narrow than you would think. A million years ago, I looked at a Nickelodeon brand guide. And it was really interesting how controlled they were about the splat. Uh, <laughs> they didn't have a menu of splats at the time that I looked at it. There was one splat. So, <laughs> so um, in, basically, I guess what I'm asking is you want to be consistent. You want to have that consistency. But then, you know, there's some advantage to having a little bit of flexibility, maybe, you know, a bigger color palette or some uh, bigger iconography um, libraries. So where do you think is kind of a sweet spot in terms of, you know, like how many fonts should you define? How big a color palette tends to be good supplementary things? Where do you think a sweet spot is between being consistent without being too uh, confined? Yeah, such a good question. I think, and the more flexibility that I think the longer a brand will kind of last you, like you're able to manipulate things to work for whatever kind of platform you're on. Um, but for branding, I think a good place to start is to have three fonts, like a good, you could have four, like one for a title, one for a heading, one for subheading and one for a paragraph text, and then have a little bit of leeway in how those can be used together. And then for colors, I think anywhere between five to eight colors is a good range. I like to have one dark neutral, one light neutral, one like iconic brand color. Like when someone looks at your brand, they like you're recognized for that. Oh, I like, know um, about those. <laughs> <laughs> like the red. And then, um, and then from those colors, like if you need even more flexibility from like those five to eight colors, you can use like the tints of it. So if you need a lighter color, let's say like your iconic color is red, but if you need something that's lighter, just using like the shade of that. Yeah. So making your palette still be cohesive, maybe go to kind of, you know, as if it were one of those strips of, of paint colors, you know, different, you know, going yes, down exactly. on the paint color strip versus going up on the paint color strip. I think we've all had that experience. Yes. Now, people have differing feelings on logos. How do you feel about the importance of brands having logos and sub question, personal brands having logos? Yeah. Um. I mean, I think logos are great, um, but I don't think that they are the end-all, be-all of a brand. It's just one small little part. I think sometimes people put a little bit too much importance on a logo. Um, 
it's just telling like one small part. So like a whole brand, you'll be able to experience it more from like the colors and fonts. And I think that colors and fonts show more personality and can be like more recognizable to the brand than just the logo. And then for personal brands, I think a logo is great and it's important. Like you'll like it's you'll need it for like a website or however you want to expand your personal brand. But if someone was like just getting started, I would probably focus more on colors and fonts and staying super consistent with those to build brand recognition. Um, but I don't, I don't know. (laughs) I'm in the camp of like a logo is great, but it's not super, super, super important. Yeah, absolutely. When I, when I launched my brand, I was one of those inconsistent brands that you mentioned. I didn't quite have my shade of red locked in. Um, I had, I had a font, I had a basic type of font, but not an exact font. And I had a logo that I never really used. And that's because it was, it was not flexible and it was not clear. It told people nothing and it only worked like square. It didn't work long. It didn't work tall. It, it was, it was very tricky. And I did a refresh myself, August of 2020, just really locked everything in, actually purchased fonts instead of just using what was available. And, and I use my logo all the time now because it's, it's based on my actual signature. So I barely had to design anything. And um, it works. I have long versions. I have short versions. It's just so much more flexible. I love that. Yes. Yeah. And if it changes, it's not going to change a whole lot. And it's totally cool for it not to be fresh and new because it's deliberately retro. (laughs) All right. So I guess the final question for you is um, just kind of some quick do's for people who are out there thinking about their visual branding, they don't quite have it locked in yet, or maybe they have some, they're not really happy with it. Uh, what are some, not quick fixes, but what are some quick wins that they can get if they're not ready to embark on a whole huge project? What are some quick things that they can just pay a little bit of attention to that's going to give them that refreshed feeling? Yeah, I think for a refresh, like quick do's, I would um, evaluate like the fonts and like we were saying, like if they aren't really consistent, maybe go and pick two to three fonts and just use those consistently. Um, or colors, if you're not using your colors really consistently, pick three to five to maybe eight. To just starting, I'd probably pick like one accent color, like your like your red, <laughs> like this, like your brand color, like the big color that you want to be known for, and then have a few that will play off of that. Um, or as far as like a logo goes, I would keep it scalable, really keep in mind like that people are on their phones a lot, that a logo will need to be scaled down really small, or it also needs to look good if it's blown up really big. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being here with us today, Marissa. This has been incredibly helpful. I could talk about this stuff all day. I love this stuff. (laughs) I, I actually have some design training, so I could just geek out over it constantly. Um, Tell everyone at home where they can and should find you and what they'll find there. Yeah, Um, you can find me. My website is quillingco.design. And then you can find me on Instagram at quillingco.design or on TikTok at quillingco. And at all of those places, you'll find tons of free resources on branding. Um, you'll find a lot of educational content on 
branding and web design. And on TikTok, you'll find more brand fails. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being here. It was so thank you. you. And thank you so much for being here, whether you're watching or listening. I really appreciate you being part of the Let's Talk About Brand community. And make sure to be here next week when we'll be talking to another great guest expert about another area of branding that you need to know about. Thanks so much. Bye. Thanks for listening to Let's Talk About Brand, part of the Adweek Podcast Network and Acast Creator Network. This podcast was produced by Christine Gritman, executive produced by Al Manorino and John Heil, and edited by Christine Gritman. You can listen and subscribe to all of Adweek's podcasts by visiting adweek.com slash podcasts. Stay updated on all things Adweek Podcast Network by following us on Twitter at Adweek Podcasts. And if you have a question or suggestion for the show, send us an email at podcast at adweek.com.